Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right, you know what that means. You are listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. We're glad you are listening, and um, we hope you'll join us for it. Uh, But we'll begin, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. And Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, it's me and Thaddeus. Again, howdy, Trey. Howdy, howdy. And um, it's something that's been on my heart. Uh, I'm not sure why it's come up quite a few times in the last week or so. So I usually take that as it's something that we need to chew on. So you're in the um, way of Trey Cash and thinking. <laughs> but um, so we're going to talk about the about the mass. I was thinking through, particularly as my kids are in college and and they're. Um, being challenged and I've been so excited to kind of see them include and bring uh, their their Protestant friends uh, to mass um, for different things but but I'm I've just always noticed just ask just wanted to make sure that as a parent that we're teaching our kids or giving them kind of the the meat and potatoes of what's going on so that they can more fully participate, which is really the ultimate, so that they can be part of um, participating in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, but also so that they can explain what's going on and how it ties in with, in particular, uh, in many cases, uh, the Protestant understanding of how salvation um, occurs, because there's a lot we agree on, and the Mass actually is an outward reflection of of what we believe, which when properly explained, actually, I think at least points them in the direction that we're not some cult, but we're actually Christians, So, which we are. We're the OG, as my kids, the, the old gangsters. <laughs> the original. <laughs> the, the original. Uh, but anyway, so I, I'd kind of found, I'd found something just as a, just as a way to, to go through it. But, but hopefully what, what will, come out of this is that we'll have a few items that we can walk through and make distinctions and be able to talk to our kids about 
intermittently as they as they go through about what's going on. And so, in general, the the church has always taught that there that the that the mass there's three things that are going on. There's there's meal, there's presents, not 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 presents like <laughs> Christmas presents, but presents like I'm present here. And um, sacrifice. And that like with all, it's kind of all of that together. And the way the Mass is celebrated can emphasize different aspects of each of those, whether it's a Roman rite or, or, or any other Catholic, or Catholic rite, an Eastern rite. You have different emphases. And even within the Roman rite, depending on the parish, you might see by the way the church is structured, by the way it, it, it just looks and feels, you can see that one of these over the other might be emphasized more. But we were talking before the show about the fact that oftentimes the idea of it being a meal, um, at least in recent times, has been kind of the focus. You know, back in back in the old days, Prior to Vatican II, and we might throw in a little bit of Vatican II here um, during the show. But prior to Vatican II, you know, it was the the priest. It was the the symbolism of what was going on in the mass was maybe more clearly that it's a sacrifice that's going on, and because the priest the priest was facing the same direction during the Eucharistic prayer, that's facing the same direction as the community gathered as as the parishioners who were in the aisles the the priest was facing with them uh at the altar a, a crucifix christ and and that kind of communicates the idea of of sacrifice in recent years i'm not sure i mean i don't know how i don't know the history of this you know that they've they've the priest has moved around the table and i mean around the altar that makes it look more like we're gathering around a table and nothing necessarily wrong with that. As long as we understand fully what's going on in this, because ultimately it's very important because I heard it not too long ago, the idea that somehow we're re-sacrificing or doing that Christ died once for all. And of course, as Catholics, we're going to say, amen, that's right out of scripture. He did die once for all. Time at one point in time he did, but what's going on in the mass is a representation through sacramental signs of what was accomplished at Calvary, uh, the sacrifice of Christ. There, I mean, there's also more there too. It's also what's going on. It's the heavenly liturgy we're participating in. So there's always this. As Catholics, we need to thank and. I don't, I've said it so many times, you've always got to think God honors our humanity. And because of that, he, because of that, he gives us visible, tangible signs that because we're human, we can smell the incense because we're human. We can stand and sit and kneel because we're human. We can feel like, you know, recently, you know, the, 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 as the priests will walk through and, and, and throw holy water on you as a prayer, or as we reach in and touch the holy water, as we walk into the parish, 
you know, for mass and cross ourselves in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all those things are because God has such great respect for for human nature, so much so that actually the second person of the Holy Trinity assumes that nature. He he takes it on himself, not like he's getting in a car. He actually, Jesus is 100% human, like us in every way but sin. When he walked this earth, he got tired. When he walked this earth, he got hungry. <laughs> I mean, he experienced life as we did, except for he was 100% of the time, all the time, completely in communion with with God the Father. But the fact that he took on humanity shows us the great dignity of being a human. And so he gave us these sacramental signs, these visible signs, these tangible signs, these things that we can touch and feel and smell and taste as ways of communicating to us what the unseen is, but the unseen is the foundation of the scene, right? I mean, the, the unseen is that which is everything's directed toward, everything is pointing towards. It's not itself. I mean, if you just take the Eucharist by itself, I mean, it's, it is bread prior to the con- consecration. At, at the consecration, it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, it becomes Jesus himself. But it still looks like a piece of bread. And so we have to make sure that we're always, whatever the symbolism is, that we don't focus so much on the symbolism that we miss what it's pointing to. It's always pointing to something that we can't see. It's always revealing something to us that we can't see. Jesus is the one that implemented this, right? The Last Supper is when he did it. And so, anyway, all that to frame what I think is is important is to continue to tell our children that whatever we are experiencing is always a reminder. It's always a pointing to something, a remembrance of something. But it's more than just that. It's actually a participation in that which is invisible in a way that we can experience because we're human in and through our participation in it. But we can't just focus just on that. Does that make sense? That is? Yeah, and I think it's important to to point out that the meal aspect of it is the way that Christ taught us or showed us how he wanted us to remember the sacrifice that he was carrying out. And that, and that sacrifice that we're representing is a sacrifice that because Christ is divine and eternal radiates out through time. Right. That's, that is so critical because, because it's, it's really important to tell that what's going on there is somewhat of some way of in time participating in eternity. Eternity means there's no time. God's in eternity. He sees everything at once (laughs) from beginning to end. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is in and through his humanity is making present to us a participation in the actual very life of God, Mm -hmm. which we can't see. We can't touch. There's nothing tangible that we can necessarily experience, but he's given this to kind of point us towards that. And then in faith, 
the conviction of things not seen, right? That, that's what in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews will say, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Faith means that we have to know what that unseen is and trust that because Jesus revealed it, that that's there. So we've got to know both. And so part of what I think is worth talking about today is some of the signs that kind of point us to something eternal or remind us of something that should always keep our eyes, you know, figuratively upward. I mean, that there's something beyond what we're seeing here. And I think that that by itself is so critical for our kids to understand when we go to mass, we're not just going to get together with some friends or maybe, maybe no friends, but, and just going through these motions because that's what we're supposed to do. We're actually entering into that mystery, that unseen representation, meaning it's really there in faith. We trust that what Jesus said, it's really there. So what we're participating in is the means by which Christ and his bride has brought forward to help us understand what's going on. I think another, um, on that point of, of the meal and, and what it represents as a meal or why it's a meal, you know, it's important to remember that the meal that they celebrated on Holy Thursday was the Passover Seder. Right. Absolutely. And, the gospel writers don't go into a lot of detail about what was done at that meal, but we know from other books in the old Testament, we know, and then, and then Jewish custom as it has continued down to this day, we know that there are many, many ritual movements and ritual prayers that are done at certain times by certain people in in particular ways. And so there was all sorts of ritual in that meaning or in that meal that they were participating in. And, and that's also a part of why the mass is a, a ritualized prayer. Right. And I think it's part, it's part of, it's kind of like that we're uh, all participating in, we all kind of know our parts. Right. And, and so wherever you go, Around, there, some version of what's going on is happening all across, all across the country. But, but it's so important all across the world, and we're participating in this heavenly liturgy. But all those things that are happening are happening in the same way. So, so it communicates the unity of of Christ's body, right? I mean, you you're you are participating in something that other people are participating that they've participated in the past that they're going to participate in the future right. and so we we are part of a body right we're part of a whole that is all doing the same it doesn't make sense for the party to be broken up and <laughs> the the body to be broken up in a way that we're all doing our own thing we're 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 worshiping as one mm-hmm. um by by doing and hearing and smelling and tasting and seeing and very similar things. If you went to a mass in any other place in the country, it would be familiar to you. Oh yeah. Um, even if in the world, depending on the type, 
it is, but you'd still see similar um, things if you understand the sacrifice, even if you went to a Tridentine Mass or a, um, one that celebrated Ad Orientum, you know, where the priest is actually consecrating the host together with with the body, with the people who are acting, instead of being on the other side of the altar, you know, you'd still see similar things and hear uh, similar language, right? So it, that communicates the unity of it. I mean, we, God honors our individual uniqueness and unrepeatability, but we as a body are meant to actually do it a certain way, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and and that ensures because they're they're reading from that 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 ensures that what is going on in other places and what has gone on previous time going forward, um, we're all communicating in the same way, in the same fashion, offering and participating in the same meal, the same sacrifice, the same presence is is always there. So, yeah, I think it's, again, to not, not put too much stress on this, but he could have chosen any day to have a farewell meal 100%. in private with his, with his friends and his closest confidants. But one of the reasons he chose it to happen on Passover, not the only reason, because he was fulfilling the Passover, he was going to fulfill the Passover with his passion and death. But one of the reasons why he chose that day was because he was having that meal on a day when there were all kinds of rituals and set protocols and postures and food for a meal that was going to happen on that day. And that's, that's how he wanted it. That's how he wants his death to be memorialized. And it's really important to remember that, that the Passover was, they, they, Offered if you go back to the Old Testament, you know, they slaughtered a lamb, uh, mm-hmm. and they consumed that lamb, and then they took the blood of the lamb and they put it over the doorposts of, of their house. And then they were promised by God that the angel of death, as it came when it saw that the blood of the lamb, mm-hmm. it would pass over their house, mm-hmm. and therefore the people inside that house would be protected. Mm-hmm. So all, you know, at the beginning, um, you know, we hear Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist, there is the Lamb of God. From the very beginning, they've always said that he was the Lamb. You know, you think about this. I mean, they would sacrifice all these things. The, pri- the priests, they would bring all these these lambs to the temple, and the priests would sacrifice. And it was, a, it was an offering to God. It would um, provide them, you know, salvation, but they'd have to redo it. It would be over and over and over again. I mean, every year it would have, they'd they'd re-sacrifice. That's not what we're doing here. The perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that is the always acceptable throughout time, throughout throughout eternity, through everywhere, through regardless if it was 2,000 years ago or... Or two thousand years from now, if if we're around that, I mean, I won't be around that long. But if we're around that long, that 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 perfect sacrifice, the one that protects us from death, that provides us with new life, and with the promise of 
being resurrected, the promise of eternal life with God, the promise of being, of seeing ultimately the beatific vision of being in heaven is that one sacrifice. So it is one sacrifice that happened one time in time, but Jesus in his infinite wisdom and in his knowing what it meant to be human has provided us with this structure and the beauty of this and then makes himself present. He feeds us in a meal. He is not re-sacrificed, but we're taking that self-same sacrifice because he is throughout time and offering it um, to God the Father. And that is what makes what we do day to day of value, not that by itself, but only when it's united with Christ himself and his perfect offering. It was in time made 2,000 plus years ago on Calvary, but is today represented, um, made present again um, throughout time for us to participate in. And that's why, you know, I think you were talking about your talk with one of your younger boys about mm. why do we, why do we do it? Why do we, well, I mean, if we understand what's going on, we are, so to speak, at the foot of the cross. We yes, are at, exactly. we, are, we are in the presence of what is happening, what happened in time on Calvary when Christ was crucified. We're also, you know, in heaven where he's resurrected and he's present to us here um, fully the, in a, in in the only way on this side of the veil that we can be, but how intimate is it? We actually receive him, his body, blood, soul, and divinity in our reception of the Eucharist. And so again, it's just important to, to remember and to, to help our kids understand that while we can't see it, what is happening here is something that is naturally happening, I guess. I mean, it's happening in a way that we can see and taste and experience. We can, we can hear, we can taste, we can smell all those type of things, but it's all pointing towards something that's invisible. Um, so something that we can't see, but is really there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. anyway, um, all that to hopefully not, um, confuse things. I thought that Mike going through some of these, some of these ideas, th this particular, I was looking at a, at a deal. Uh, I'm just going to use it as, as kind of a speaking points to things to point out, but it is, th this particular person is talking about, about thinking of the mass as a meal and, and there's some value to it. But again, the meal always is pointing towards something greater than just what it symbolizes, right? So um, I thought that he went through, the first one is the gathering, right? So going through the different parts of the mass and he gives and he gives um, kind of names to him. So the first one's the gathering, right? Which, I mean, that's what it's called <laughs> in, if you, if you look, but I thought there were some good points here. So he talks about these different parts of that. So first, you know, greeters. So in a lot of, in a lot of churches, when you enter, there are people, there are people that are there welcoming you. Um, not always, but I know here at St. Mary's they do. And so that gives the idea that we're kind of entering into a, a friendly place, a place 
like a places where family is, a place where people that we're in communion with, com- community with, all those things that, that were being welcomed in. And then one of the first things that you see is the is the font that we you know reach in with our right hand, and then we cross ourselves in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with the holy water. And I think the holy water. We need to tell our kids that's okay. That's always a, a remembrance of what allows you to enter into this sanctuary in a special in a special way because you're part of God's family. It's a reminder of what your baptism, right? Because when, when you're baptized, you're baptized into, you're, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when you go into Mass? You put your f- fingers in and then you cross yourself at what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh. And, and so you're being reminded of the water from your baptism and then what you were baptized into into his name the father the son and the holy spirit great teaching tool because because you think about it the sign of the cross in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit points us back to we're part of his family that we're, we're part of the family of god but how did we get there and that's why the cross is so important so you're crossing yourself why because it is only through the crucifixion, the cross, the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ that we have access to the Father, right? So in just that one is <laughs> a great teaching tool just to teach when we when you do that. So you don't want to do it really f- fast, like, <laughs> like I've seen some baseball players do on TV every once in a while. I mean, we want to teach our kids to make it a prayer. It's in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it points us to what gained for us the ability to walk in this, both in terms of it was Christ's crucifixion, so it's his cross, and that what we were baptized into, we were baptized into the family of God in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we're at, when we're entering into that holy space, we're reminding ourselves of why we're there. We're part of his family. This is a family gathering together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the body of Christ coming together. Yeah, a lot of mixed uh, metaphors or whatever, but they all but they all work. Yeah, but it's just that, that idea in throughout Catholic teaching and thought of you know we're not we're not in this alone. We're we're not saved just as individuals. We have we are we are that body of Christ, that mystical body of Christ, and so we're all working together. With Christ's grace, with the grace of the Holy Spirit, cooperating with it to help our brothers and sisters achieve salvation as well. Right, absolutely. We're all we're all in this together, so to speak. Literally, mm-hmm. it, when we go to when we go to mass. Yeah, exactly. And so we walk in. Another another one of my most important points is we genuflect. I can remember being taught to genuflect. I don't remember by whom, but I didn't know what the word was. I didn't know why I was doing it. I didn't know where I was going. And so, you know, what was the purpose? I think it's another important thing to remember. Genuflection is, I mean, if you ever get a chance to show them that that's what, that's what people and when they were in the front of the king, when they approached the king or the emperor or whomever, they would genuflect down on a knee 
to say, I recognize who you are and who I am in your presence. I'm, I'm just your servant. And the genuflect was a, was a sign of honor, um, of honoring the person you were genuflecting towards. And so to learn that that's important. And one of my, one of the things, and we've talked about it here before, but it's really important for parents to say, okay, why are we genuflecting? We're genuflecting because we're genuflecting towards our Lord, towards our King, towards the one who is the ruler of our salvation, who we owe everything to. Mm-hmm. We have nothing separate from him. We're capable of nothing separate from him. We're not even we're, we're alive because of him. And so when we genuflect again, really important, I think that we teach our children and that we show that it's not just a, <laughs> like a curtsy or whatever, um, to the extent you can, a profound genuflection, genuflect, and then stand up before you enter the, before you enter the aisle because of who it is. The other thing that's really important and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it's a little harder in other places than, than some. We're genuflecting towards the tabernacle, which is where Jesus is. And we can know that it's, it's the, typically That's the gold, right. very nice little box, you know. That's the king to whom we're genuflecting. Exactly. To whom we're giving honor. And sometimes he's, you know, some, in some churches, you can do it. You can always find it by the red, little red candle. Most of the time. Most of the time. Usually the red candle is there, but but oftentimes he's maybe in another room or mm-hmm. or somewhere off to the side. But I always... There's some places where he's off to the side and it's not even a red candle. Oh, we're not going to mention okay. those. We're not going to mention those. Well, to the extent that we know that he's there, then we should, we should genuflect and typically right. towards... We're not genuflecting towards the front of the church just because that's the front of the church. We're not right. genuflecting. So we, so for example, on Good Friday, he's not there. That's the right. tabernacle's wide open. We don't genuflect. That's right. When we enter the church because he's not there. That's right. We, w- we would bow as a sign of reverence towards the altar, right. which, is, which is a sign of reverence for what he gained our salvation on, the right. sign of it. Right. But he's not there we don't genuflect. Right. And then likewise, I think I'm speaking correctly. It's customary that when you've received communion and you're coming back to your pew, you don't genuflect, not only out of, for not really for efficiency's sake, because there's somebody else coming behind you, but also now you're carrying Christ would, with you. Right. You would not, I mean, I'm, that makes complete sense. I, I've never thought about that, but the reality is he is in you at that point. You are mm-hmm. carrying him with you. And and that's again Jesus. But that's why you also walk reverently. Right. Typically you're taught to walk with your head down, your maybe your hands in a prayerful position. You're not looking around at the com com the com <laughs> that the Wow. You're not looking around at the congregation gathered, you know, waving, saying what's up to your your friends. You right. know, because you have the king of the universe in your body and your body. That's right. And, and um, so until so, so you need to be focused on him, trying to commune with him, right. Talk to him. Lord, listen. thank you. Listen to him. You know, while you're walking, when you go back and, and kneel um, or depending on your physical ability, typically you, you would kneel just in prayer 
thanking thanking him for being present for making himself available to you mm-hmm. um asking what do you have for me what would you like me to do those type of things but as we enter just use those two are easy ones cross crossing themselves in genuflection that can be taught prior to any them even receiving first communion, right? I mean, they can learn how to cross themselves. Mm-hmm. They can do, learn how to do it appropriately, and you can be teaching them yep. um, those things from from early on. Um, so I know we're that that's kind of the beginning as we enter. Obviously, you know, um, really important. I think one of the things is is that the beginning of the mass, you know, um, the penitential rite, which Oftentimes, you know, as you know, I, I could, what is it? I confess to you, uh, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, sisters. right? So, right before that, you know, we're supposed to kind of reflect on, okay, ways that we might have sinned or failed him on the way. Why? Because we're, we're there. Now we're ready to prepare to hear his word and to receive him. Mm-hmm. And so we need to reflect on what's going on. And there's a, that's often a time that's not, when you pray that prayer, to teach the prayer to your children, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned, that I have greatly sinned mm-hmm. in my thoughts and my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Those, those and are what I really like about the, the new, the retranslation from 2011 when they um, brought the the English translation of the confetti or closer to the Latin and had us strike our breast yes. and how we say through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Now, when we're saying that, hopefully we're not in a state of mortal sin. I mean, we would never want that for, for any of us. Hopefully, you know, we have even let, so, or maybe a better way to address it is let's say that, we're saying that and we know that we're not conscious of any grave sin. Maybe we've gone to confession very recently and we have only the, the most venial of sins that we're maybe responsible for at that point. Yet we're still praying that in truth through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. I think what that helps to do is I've talked to my kids about this. It should help to focus us on just how unworthy we are of this great gift of salvation that God has given us. Because in truth, in justice, the the smallest sin is is enough to, to keep us out of, of heaven. Because heaven is perfect beatific yeah. union right. with God, who is who is completely without sin, without imperfection. Exactly. And you so, know? So it, it should help to focus us on just how how incredibly merciful and uh, loving our God is that he sent this rescue operation. Right. Exactly. For us. And I think, I think it's important, you know, to teach our kids too to, to think all venial sins are forgiven at that moment. So it's, you're, you're again, preparing yourself, you're preparing yourself. That doesn't mean that you wouldn't necessarily go confess them. You can, you, you, can't, but you can be certain that if you're not in a state of mortal sin, you know, all of, you know, grave matter, fully free to make the choice. And then you actively choose to do something that you know mm-hmm. is gravely wrong. Mm-hmm. 
But in most cases, if you're going regularly, many cases, if you evaluate yourself, you look at yourself, that's a moment to do that, to call to mind those venial sins that you have and then pray that prayer as just a confession of, I'm not worthy to be here. I've done things just like everybody else. But I love at the end, you know, you know, ask you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. So just to listen to those words, we should, you know, pray, we're praying for everybody there. Yeah, I, a lot of times I need to, in, in that moment, I need to conscious, or I try to consciously remind myself, oh, I need to be praying for all the people, all the people that are gathered here, gathered here next to me. Pray, pray for them. So I think it's, so, I mean, those are little things, but but all of those things are, can be used to teach kind of the way that we should be entering. That's before the mass is, I mean, it's begun, mm-hmm. but at that point, but it's the very beginning. But that's another example of how, again, we're, we're being saved communally. We, we are being saved as individuals. We're going to have an individual judgment, but we are being saved as a body. As his body. Yeah. Right. His body. And, and, and wanting to be part of his body mm-hmm. and, and we, we are part of it through our baptism. But, but I think that that's really an important point to just really pray that prayer, listen to it. I, again, like you said, what can happen when something is, there's nothing wrong with ritual. Ritual keeps it real. What happens is, is we begin to just do it out of rote memory and we're not actually praying that prayer. Mm-hmm. We should, prior to that, when I say I confess, <laughs> I should have thought of the things in the last week or since the last confession that are venial sins and say... Maybe on the way to Mass. I mean, <laughs> that happens more often than not for me. Especially when you're a parent. <laughs> unfortunately. But I think it's important to remember. And then, you know, the Gloria happens it, it, normally mm-hmm. in certain parts of you right after that. And what is that? That's giving God praise, glory, and honor for what he's now forgiven and prepared the people who are there to enter into the mass, to, to be free from, from those venial sins and to actually enter into the mass clean. Right. And right. so he, again, really important, just that you're not even five minutes in the mass. You're not even, you know, you may have been there for 10 minutes and some very important things have happened that oftentimes we miss because we are so used to it. Again, there's nothing wrong with ritual. I, I think it was Scott Hahn that you said, we love ritual. You know, when I get home, I'll kiss, I mean, I'll kiss my wife on the cheek. And when I leave in the morning, I kiss my wife on the cheek, right? I mean, goodbye, have a great day. Hey, how was your day? Those are rituals. And to the extent that I really mean what I'm saying, they're beautiful rituals. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing wrong with ritual. What, what, what's wrong with ritual is when we don't actively participate in what we're saying, when we just say it to say it. You know, when we say I love you, there should be love behind that. Yeah. And kind of how, you know, Sacrosanctum Concilium from the Second Vatican Council talks about full and active participation. Good. What you and I are talking about right here that's the full and active participation that it's it's getting at that our our soul our mind our body is engaged right even when even when we're just when we're just standing and holding our hands together 
um, praying silently together with the priest, the, the collect or the opening prayer, our minds and our soul need to be engaged in what, what the words are. And I think that's one of the things. So the, the listen to the prayers that are said, this is throughout the mass. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you listen to them, you know, I try to, in my, when, when I'm at my best, (laughs) I try to, in, in my mind, I'm listening actively. I'm, what is he, what is he saying? And where do I belong in what he's saying? Yeah. Here's here, for example, here's the collect from today's daily mass. I'll read it. And then why don't you just give us a little, what kind of go, was going on in your, your mind and your soul. So the, the priest prays, may your right hand, O Lord, we pray, encompass your family with perpetual help so that defended from all wickedness by the resurrection of your only begotten son, we may make our way by means of your heavenly gifts through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. So thank you for the, for the gifts, for the gift of family. Thank for your right hand guiding me. Those, those are those are things that I picked up picked up there, and that you know, the, always through Christ our Lord at the end. That mm-hmm. it's always it's always because of him, because of him and what he's accomplished mm-hmm. that I'm able to make any changes to my life. So that prayer, those short prayers at the beginning yeah. of mass are always good. What I picked up on was we may make our way by means of your heavenly gifts. I mean, your hev- what I Grace thought of is, is this, is the sacraments, this mass that I'm in right now, this is part of that, that way that he, right. he gets me home, that he brings me to himself. And that, and that Thank points you. us to the, by, by means it's, it's what he's given us that we respond to that allows us to make our way. Right. Which is where, our way to where our way to him. Right. That's where we're. That's where we're headed. So there's just so much. And now listen, I'm not talking about a three year old or whatever. But right. but but to to learn to say that these prayers aren't just being said just because that's just what they're supposed to say. There's something that's meant to speak to us. That God is speaking through the priest, through Scripture, through the mass and the Eucharistic prayer through everything and to be attentive to it, to listen, if I'm honest, we all struggle, right? You can think about sure. like the kids over there acting up or man, I can't believe I didn't get that done or what. I mean, those type of things. And as a good priest told me, he says, look, God knows you're human. God knows that you're, so, so the thing is, is the minute you realize you're kind of off, um, just acknowledge I'm off and then, and then say, Lord, with your help, let me turn back and focus on what I'm doing. And I think that's a good a good way to to talk to your kids as well and yourself mm-hmm. to be aware of the fact that sometimes because of different things that are going on, whether it's in the church or or something that's going on in your mind, to kind of always attempt to reengage. It's part of the cross that you're bearing. We're not perfect. So we're setting up kind of like the perfection of what it should be like, that we should be totally engaged and listening. Listen, we're going to all fail at moments. You know, probably all of us in any mass are going to fail at moments to be fully engaged. But again, we're, we're working towards that. We just want to listen. And the church gives us through prayers like the collect or through the confitor, the I confess to almighty God or through the Eucharistic prayer, whatever he's speaking to us. And what is God saying to you? That's something that we should all, what, 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 is, what does he want to give to me? What's the word he wants me to hear today? 
from him and how does he want me to apply that to life? So mass should never be boring, <laughs> honestly. It's only boring when we let the ritual become just just a ritual, mm-hmm. not something that we're participating in. And again, like you said, Sacrosanctum Concilium and the and the church went to more vernacular, more mm-hmm. the like the common language of the people for the pur- purpose of wanting people to be fully, actively, and consciously participating in right. the mass. And yeah, they made allowance for it at the same time, saying that Latin should remain yes um, a very prominent part of the of the liturgy. And so again, what's the Latin communicate? You know, it's a it's a quote unquote dead language, and it's not changing. Right. And so it communicates stability. kind of the its stability. It communicates over time being the same, the same exact words being said back in you know early church when you know once they moved to when it was Roman. And and then it communicates kind of everybody everywhere that's alive on this planet that that hears Latin they'll hear the same prayer right I mean the Agnus Dei will sound the same in India or in Russia or wherever if it's being prayed in in Latin right that's and right. so that communicates that unity across boundaries that's right that's which, right which as Christians we're not. You know, we're not Americans first. <laughs> we're we're Christians first. We're we're Catholics first, and and so the church is trying to, by pointing out that we should still hold Latin in esteem and include Latin, is pointing to the fact that wherever you, the unused days prayer prayed in Latin across this world, it's going to sound the same everywhere, and that communicates this all being part of one body. So, anyway. Um, let's see, we're, 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 we're not even to the, we're not even to the scripture yet, but so all that, all that ends, we do that. And then we enter into the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the word is, I, I like, I like the fact that. He okay. So us, let's finish up talking about what okay. they have to say about the liturgy of the word. Yeah. That's where we'll. Yeah, we'll finish. Right. So I, I think Liturgy of the Word, I like the fact that he's talking about storytelling. What is, what is going on in the Liturgy of the Word? Important to point out to your children. Okay, listen to what's going, what, what is being read to you, and also look at what's going on. So we sit through the first, on a Sunday, we'll sit through the first reading, we'll sit through the psalm, right? And then we'll sit through the second reading. But then we stand at the gospel, why do we stand? Because those are Jesus's words. It points us to something's different about these words mm-hmm. and that these words are actually making, helping us make sense of all those other readings that we just read. And so the standing is in honor of being, hearing Jesus's actual words mm-hmm. for us. But all those other readings are important as well. I like to do, you know, try to read the readings before, and I think that's a good habit to maybe, you know, as your kids get older, and then try to think, okay, what do you think a topic for a homily would be? <laughs> I mean, what do you think from, from oh, what, you've, what you've read to kind of think, okay, if, if I was giving a, what, what seems to be a common thread through this for my life today, priests may or may not even come close to that. 
But at least it prepares you like, okay, is there a common thread through these prayers? Is there something here that that is speaking to me in particular? That's why I like reading the daily readings every day. I, yep. I try to, and, the, and there, obviously, you just have three readings. You have the first reading, you have a, barring it being a, um, a holy day or solemnity or something, you have the, the psalm and then you have the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I was, I, we should be teaching our kids, God's got something to say to you. Yeah. Right? Can I say a word about the first reading? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we try to um, emphasize to our children. So when you're listening to the first reading, usually, which is from the old Testament, you know, try to be thinking about, okay, what, what am I hearing in here? That's, that's making my Catholic ears perk up about something that's in the New Testament. What is, what can I, what's an, an image here or an analogy or a connection that I can make with something in a gospel, something in the story of the gospel or maybe a, a parable, just or any kind theme, of, or... just anything I can make a connection to in the new, in the new Testament. And then when the, when the gospel comes around, you know, okay, what, what am I hearing in the gospel now that I heard in the Old Testament reading, it connects. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's a that's a great exercise, particularly as we get older. I think it's a great exercise for us as we go in. Is there's there's a thread in the and the priest and his homily is meant to kind of bring all that together, speak on that, and then tie it into something that would allow us to go and be encouraged to go out into the world today mm-hmm. and do something mm-hmm. with that word. Mm-hmm. And there's been plenty of times when a priest has brought up something and said, well, that, I, that's exactly, that's for me. Mm-hmm. You're right. And mm-hmm. that's the way we should be. There should be kind of a, an expectation. Like, you know, when you're going to meet somebody that you care about and you haven't talked to them in a while, there's like an expectation. I'm going to go, I get to talk to them like mm-hmm. my dad, you know, if mm-hmm. I speak to him and I haven't spoken to him in a while, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to, we're going to a graduation party and I'm looking forward to the conversations that I'm going to have. There's kind of an expectation that something is something new is going to come from these conversations. That's the way we should look at what's going on in the readings. God has something to say to me specifically. Right. And right. so we want to, take that to heart for ourselves, but we also want to help our kids. Obviously it's something you can say to a younger one. God might have something to say, listen, but as they grow older, that should be exactly what's going on. You should be able to walk out and say, well, what do you, what, what's the word God had for you today? Or have you thought about it? Or was there anything that struck you about what the priest said or what was read? Yeah. You know, and those are yeah. great conversations for post mass, right? Maybe over lunch or something. Um, or this struck me, or this has really meant a lot to me and for where I am today and what I need to work on or what, you know, it was an encouragement to get me through this struggle or whatever. Those conversations are the things that help our kids over time begin to understand that it's something for them. Yep. And so listening it should, should be something that they look forward to because there's an expectancy that God's got something to tell me today specifically. So again, I think that's, that's only the first part of mass, but I, but I do think hopefully there were some, a few things you y'all can learn, maybe a few things you can take to heart, but um, as always, we you know we're, we're at the end. 
Remember, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. Always will. God bless. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.